0: You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now here's Pastor Ben Glupter. Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. It's, uh, thank you, sound team, for making my microphone work again. Uh, you'd think it's not a big deal to have to hold it the whole time, but it, it gets old, and I, uh, I appreciate the sound guys back there working through that. Although I prefer the story that Steve's guitar fixed it, and I still think that's maybe something to it there. But uh, well, turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis 30, we are in the sixth week of a nine-week series on Jacob called Struggle and Blessing, Struggle and Blessing. You know, Jacob, uh, his grandfather Abraham, God had called out of Mesopotamia to go to a land he would show me made him great promises i 'm going to bless you you 're going to have many descendants you 'll be a great nation i 'm going to bless the whole world through you and that blessing had passed down from Abraham to his son Isaac, uh, who also received that promise from God and then Isaac had two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau, and you would expect that the blessing would go to the older son Esau, but it didn 't in god 's plan and wisdom. it goes to the younger son jacob but jacob rather than simply wait and trust in god's blessing he had schemed and connived and alienated and as a result of that he was forced to flee his family and head back up to mesopotamia to his relatives to to find a wife there which he does but while he's there he encounters his uncle laban and uh, he wants to marry laban's daughter rachel and uh, contracts to do that to work seven years for her but when the time comes, the, the wedding ceremony arrives and in the all the partying and the darkness and probably a, a bit of intoxication, he's given Rachel's sister, Leah, the unattractive one he doesn't want. And he's angry as his father in law's deceived him and pawned off the older sister on him, so he contracts to work seven more years for the girl he really wants, Rachel, and when that time is up. Uh, We see, that's where we pick up here in Genesis chapter 30, Uh, in verse 25, we read it earlier, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Rachel's the preferred wife, Jacob says, send me away, I can go to my own country. That's where we pick the story up this morning. Jacob has 11 sons, he's got two wives, well, kind of four wives, and 11 sons between them, and he's ready to go back to his homeland, back to his father Back to his family. That's where we pick it up. We read the end of chapter 30 earlier. Let's let's pick up and read the first part of chapter 31, though, as we get into this this morning. Genesis 31, verse 1. Genesis 31, 1. This is God's word. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, "Jacob has taken all that was our fathers, and from what was our fathers, he's gained all this wealth." And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I'll be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see your father doesn't regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father's cheated me, changed my wages ten times, but God didn't permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, well, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I've seen all that Laban's doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel. You anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel answered, and Leah answered, and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property he had gained, the livestock in his possession he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the man by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we look at your word, as we look at this story of Jacob, that you would give us uh, clarity and understanding. Uh, Father, We, as we look at Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah, we, we will see something of ourselves. We will see uh, the attitudes that they possessed are, are attitudes that we know and confront in our own lives, and our own hearts. And And so, Father, as we consider the story, I pray that we would see ourselves and our own hearts and lives right, and I pray even more so that we would see you rightly, that we would understand you as you truly are, and worship you as we truly should, and love you as we truly ought to, and I just pray you'd bless us, bless the preaching now of your word in the lives and hearts of your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jacob's world, in so many ways, is so different than ours. It's so different. You think of technology in 3,500 to 4,000 years, just think, think of their view of the world and of technology, how much it's changed. Think how much it's changed in 20 years. right? Uh, when I was in high school, uh, a cell phone would have been inconceivable. right? It would have been the amazing wonder of the world, right? And now we think nothing of it. Our kids can't imagine a world, right? What kind of deprivation would this world be without, without smartphones anymore? well the, the gap between us and them is of course much greater Technolo- technologically uh, occupationally uh, almost everyone is a agriculture a shepherd farmer or that sort of thing back in Jacob's day uh, their understanding of how the natural world works we'll see some of that we do see some of that here in the story right here uh, their cultural assumptions and expectations are so different than our own uh, it's a very patriarchal society. We see at the beginning of this section that Jacob wants to leave and go back to his family and he's trying to get permission. Can I take my wives? Can I take my kids? And can we go back to my father? And he needs permission from his father-in-law. It's a very different world in so many ways. And yet, and yet in many ways, people back then aren't that different from us today similar concerns similar fears similar ambitions similar goals Uh, look at chapter 30 verse 29 Jacob says to Laban you know how I've served you how your livestock has fared with me you had little before I came it increased abundantly the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned but now When shall I provide for my own household also? When am I going to provide for my household? When am I going to take care of me? Jacob says. He's been working and working for his father-in-law Laban for something like 20 years. Laban has prospered because of Jacob. Because of Jacob's hard work, Because God has blessed Laban on Jacob's behalf. And Jacob is thinking, why why am I putting in all the work and you're getting all the profit? Where does that leave me? Well, a lot of us have probably felt a little bit like this. We get a little anxious. How am I going to provide for my own household? Everyone else seems to have so much. What about me? What does our future look like? How will we get by? And, and what we see mostly in this story is the wrong way to go about answering these questions. What we see in this story, we see this almost universal concern. What about us? What about my family? What about our future? What about me? And what we see here is three, at least three wrong attitudes on display in the story. And then at the end, we'll see the right one. So three wrong attitudes. Let's start with the first one. The wrong attitude number one is this. My blessings come from you. My prosperity, my success, my blessings come from you. That's, that's Laban's attitude. In verse 27, Laban says, look, I found favor in your sight. He says, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you, he says to Jacob. Now, here's what would make sense for Jake Laban to do. God is blessing Jacob. It would make sense for Laban to say, I think I'm going to go worship that God. I think I'm going to commit myself to that God. I think I'm going to pursue and follow Jacob's God as well. But that's not what he does. He does everything he can to hang on to Jacob. Jacob is the key in his mind to his blessing and his success. He says, name your wages, I'll give them to you. His strategy is to manipulate and control and exploit Jacob. He's been doing that for a long time. Well, you want to marry my daughter? Well, you got to work seven years. Oh, I'll give you the wrong daughter. You want the one you wanted? Well, that'll be another seven years. And he's been manipulating and exploiting Jacob for a long time. There's there's no apparent tenderness for his daughters and his grandchildren. The section we read just a moment ago, when Jacob takes Rachel and Leah, Laban's daughters, and says, hey, let's leave, they're like, yeah, why would we stay? Why would we stay for that guy? He's plundered our property. He's taken our wealth. He treats us like foreigners. It's his daughters. Laban uses people to get what he really wants. He's a taker. And when he and Jacob come to agreement on Jacob's wages, that is, Jacob will get all the spotted and speckled animals, which is always going to be a minority, a small minority of the the animals in the flock, what does he do? Before Jacob can go out and gather all the animals that are supposed to be his, he has his sons take them all out of the flock and take them a long ways away. So Jacob gets to keep all the spotted and speckled sheep that will be born to unspotted and unspeckled parents, which is not going to be many. Right? So he's exploiting, even as even they come to an agreement, he is exploiting and taking advantage of Jacob. He's cheating and exploiting Jacob, his daughters, his grandchildren, yet again. I remember when I was a teenager, not sure why I remember this, but I remember my dad saying, we were probably riding in the car, and my dad saying, you know, you know what makes sense? He said, it makes sense to me that if parents would work hard and, and save up money, then when their kids become adults, they could, they could help them out, you know, get them started, you know, help them get into their first house, and all the money their kids would save, then they could start save for their children and get them a head start and just kind of keep going on and on, right? Well, I hope he's still working on that. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to hold him to it, but it is a good idea. right? I know my parents have four kids. Launching them all into their own homes probably isn't very realistic. But, but the attitude, the, the sentiment is surely right, isn't it? You, you would expect parents to think in those kind of categories. How can I help my kids? How can I get them started? How can I uh, put them in the best possible situation to succeed? It's the kind of thing good parents do. Right? I mean, in countless little ways, good parents are doing that every day, trying to, sacrificing things for themselves to make the lives of their kids better. Not Laban, though. He's getting rich off his kids. He's exploiting and taking. He wants more. But that's what happens when our attitude is, my blessings come from you. You're the one that will meet my needs and supply and give me what I have. We start to look at other people for what they can do for us. Oh, we resent when they have more than we do, when they don't share with us like we think they should. It might be particular people in your life. It could be like, they could help me. They could meet my needs. They could make my life a little bit easier, but they're not. It might be your employer. Where's my promotion? Where's my raise? Why does the boss make so much? His job is to make things better for me. It might be some vague category, like rich people or something. But we start to look at other people. We resent what they have and what we don't have. Our our attitude about blessing becomes zero-sum. Everything you have... Therefore, is something I don't have. Almost as though you've taken it from me. And what we become with that kind of attitude, which is my blessing should come from you, what we become with that kind of attitude is miserable, like Laban is. Laban tricks and exploits Jacob. He takes all the spotted and speckled animals that are supposed to go to Jacob. He keeps them for himself. He was probably proud of himself. But everyone that reads this story Millions and millions of people for over 3,000 years now read about Laban and say, what a jerk. What a jerk. Who would want that guy for a dad? Who would want that guy for a father-in-law? How different Laban is than the greatest man who ever lived, of whom it was said, you know, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, give, is life as a ransom for many. Looking to other people as the key to your blessing is a losing game. You'll be frustrated, you'll be bitter, you'll be miserable. Your relationships will suffer. But looking to others as the source of blessing isn't the only wrong attitude on display here. Here's the second wrong attitude. Uh, My blessings come from me. My blessings come from me. That's the attitude that Jacob communicates here. That's what he says when he says, um, chapter chapter 30, verse 30. He says to Laban, You had little before I came. It's increased abundantly. The Lord has blessed you where I turned. Now, what shall I provide for my own household? Laban says, What shall I give you? Jacob says, You don't have to give me anything. I'll just keep, if you do this for me, I'll again pasture your flock. And keep it. Just a few verses before, Jacob is all gung-ho about going home. I'm gonna go back to my family, go back to my parents, go back to my homeland, the, the land that God has promised to me and my family. And now all of a sudden Jacob says Laban says, Well, we'll name your wages. Jacob's like, Whoa, we'll name my wages. Well, maybe I will stick around for a while. Maybe there's more to be gotten here. And he senses an opportunity to secure wealth from his father-in-law Laban. The problem isn't that Jacob's willing to work. Work's intrinsically good. Since the Garden of Eden, in that perfect place, work was central. Work is good. The problem isn't that he's strategizing to secure his family's financial future. The Proverbs lay that out as a mark of wisdom in the Bible as well. The problem is that he neglects and ignores where his blessing and prosperity really come from. Jacob is the heir of God's great promises to Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father. The promise of blessing has been given to him as well when he encountered God at Bethel. He doesn't need to linger here with Laban outside the promised land to set himself up. He can just go home where he's supposed to be. God has already promised to bless him, right? Has always promi- already promised to be with him and take care of him. But Jacob feels like he needs to take steps to secure his own blessing and prosperity. He starts to rely on his own work ethic, to rely on his own schemes and his own efforts. And, and just as quickly, when he does this, Laban takes away all the speckled and spotted animals that Jacob is supposed to get, which puts Jacob in a really difficult spot, Right? He's been left with all the solid colored animals, which are almost always going to produce solid colored young. So Jacob doesn't know anything about genetics in our modern scientific sense, but he knows it's gonna take a long time to build wealth this way. So he devises a plan. It must have made sense to him, but when the animals would gather to water, he put sticks in front of them and he would peel back the bark, strips of bark, so that the sticks were essentially striped and spotted. You'd have the dark bark, and then you'd have a stripe of light-colored wood underneath. And, and so the plan is, I'll put all of these striped and speckled sticks in front of the animals while they drink, because that's where they mate. And because they're looking at these striped and speckled sticks while they mate, they'll produce striped and speckled offspring. It must have made sense to him. It seems a little crazy us. I don't know a lot about genetics either, but I don't think there's a lot of science behind that. But this is his plan. He practiced selective breeding. He's like, I'll do this with the strong ones, but when the weak ones come along, I'll let them go ahead and bear solid color, but I'll just do this with the strong ones. And the end result is that Jacob grows great and wealthy. Laban and his sons, we see at the beginning of chapter 31, they see it. Jacob sees it. He sees it in their face. He says to his wives, your dad doesn't look at me like he used to. Your brothers don't look at me like they used to. They're upset. Jacob is growing wealthy and mighty, and they, from their perspective, at their expense. So his own ingenuity, his hard work, is secured blessing for himself, right? Not really. Not really, and he will acknowledge that himself. Look at chapter 31, verse 4. He calls Jacob calls Rachel and Lee into the field. He says, you know, my father didn't look at me like he used to. Um, Look at verse six. You know I've served your father with all my strength. Your father's cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God didn't permit him to harm me. If Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob's plan works only because God is working on Jacob's behalf. God is working for Jacob. God is the one who secures for Jacob his blessing and prosperity. Look, it isn't any different for me or you. Our blessing, our prosperity, our success is in God's hands. That's not an argument against hard work. It's not an argument against smart financial planning. It's just to acknowledge that blessing ultimately comes from God. Jacob wastes time, creates trouble for himself, fighting to build up his own wealth in this foreign land. All the while, the blessing he wants is waiting for him back in the promised land where God wants him to be. You know, Paul says in First Timothy 6, he says, You know, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us for everything to enjoy. Paul says, don't set your hope on wealth. All this fleeting. I think of the story Jesus tells about the man who has a, a bumper crop, the farmer, and he says, i got, I got more than enough to last me. i just, I just got to build bigger barns to store it all. And what does Jesus say? That night, God comes to him and says, yeah, your life is demanded of you right now. There is no security in our own planning and our own blessing and our own prosperity. It's only in God. Or think of what Jesus says in Matthew 6. You're familiar with this passage, Matthew 6 Jesus says, verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Uh, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, well, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus isn't saying to hate or reject blessing. He's just telling us not to obsess or worry about it. You can't secure it. You can't make it happen. You're not the key to your own blessing. That comes from God. So don't obsess or worry about it. But we do, don't we? We do worry. Jesus is focus on God and his kingdom, and God will take care of the rest. He takes care of flowers and birds I'll take care of you. There's no peace, there's no rest depending on yourself. Just follow me today, Jesus, says. I'll take care of you. My blessing comes from me is, is another wrong attitude, but there's still one more here. Look in chapter 31 of Genesis. Look at verse 21, or rather verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob... Actually, look back at verse 17. So Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives and camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property he had gained, the livestock in his possession he had acquired in Paddan to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramaean, by telling him that he inte- not telling him he intended to flee. And he fled with all he had and arose, crossed the Euphrates, set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Here's the wrong attitude. Number three, we had uh, my blessing comes from you. That's the wrong attitude. My blessing comes from me. That's wrong as well. The third one is my blessing comes from my idols. Rachel here, Jacob's wife, Laban's daughter, is there leaving, steals his teraphim, his little household statues, gods that he worshiped. Why? Why steal those? Well, it's been proposed that if the person who owned those was entitled to the inheritance, but that doesn't seem very certain. It's been proposed that maybe Laban, she took them so Laban couldn't inquire of them where Jacob and his family had gone, but it wouldn't be hard for Laban to guess where Jacob was going. Most likely, she took them for good luck. She took them for whatever help they might bring her. Well, that seems like something that might not have anything to do with us. We don't have or even want idols or statues, let alone feel the need to steal them. But what Rachel's really doing here is hedging her bets. She claims to follow the Lord. She urges Jacob to do whatever the Lord tells him, but she's not prepared to trust God all alone. She's hedging her bets. She's gonna bring these idols just in case. And and that's something we do know about. Not confident, not trusting that God is everything that we need, but hanging on to other things too. Things that will bring us happiness or provide for us. And, and the trouble it creates for a family is, is enormous. Uh, the great tension at the end of the story is whether Laban will find these gods. Because Jacob, as we'll see in just a moment, says, well, hey, look, if whoever you find these gods with will die. The idols bring her trouble. They don't help her. They weigh her down, threaten her well-being and safety. You know, far too often we cling to worthless idols too, just in case. We just hang on to stuff this will make me happy. This, if God doesn't come through, at least I'll have this. So we cling to our wealth or cling to our possessions or cling to relationships as though they're the key in case God doesn't deliver the kind of life we're looking for. What are you clinging to? Where have you hedged your bets? Where have you failed to say, no, I'm going to follow God wholeheartedly, but eh, but I'm going to hang on to this just in case. My idols will make me happy is the wrong attitude number three. Here's the right attitude as we finish this morning. My blessings come from the Lord. The right attitude is my blessings come from the Lord. Look at verse 36. Actually, no, look at verse 25. No, that's called 22. We haven't read that yet. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, pursued him for seven days, and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. So they're down right on the border of what will become Israel now, just over the Jordan River. And Laban said to Jacob, "'What have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and didn't tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell?' Now you've done foolishly. It's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you'd take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen him. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he didn't find them. She said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but didn't find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you felt through all my goods what, you found, what have you found of all your household goods. Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and i have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I didn't bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I've been in your house. I serve you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all that you see is mine. What can I do this day for my daughters or the children whom they have borne? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it jigar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galeed. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galeed and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness. The pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Laban hotly pursues Jacob, but he can't do anything to him. You see a little bit of that sense in verse 43. After Jacob complains and lays out his complaint, Laban says, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flock. He's whining here. He's complaining. This is mine, but there's there's nothing he can do. Why? Because God has come to him and said, hey, listen, when you get to Jacob, don't say anything good or bad. Don't say anything good or bad. In other words, don't bless him and don't curse him. Don't bless him and don't curse him. I get the don't curse him part. right? God is on Jacob's side. I get the don't curse him you, you remember the story of Balaam in the book of Numbers, as Israel is prepared to enter the promised land, and the king of Moab sees them all there, and he, he calls on Balaam, the prophet, he says, come down here and curse these people, and Balaam's like, well, I can, I can only say what God tells me to say, and so Balaam, uh, Balak says, I'll, I'll pay you well, you know I can pay you well, come down and curse them, and Balaam's like, all right, so Balaam comes down, and he has the whole scene with the donkey, you recall, where the God opens the donkey's mouth, and Balak brings him down, puts him on a high mountain, because he could see all the people there, and uh, high, mountains were religious of places, and he says, Okay, curse these people. And Balaam opens his mouth to speak, and what does he speak? He speaks blessing. And Balak says, What are you doing? it's not what I paid you to do. I paid you to curse. And Balaam's like, I can only say what God tells me to say. So Balak says, Let's go to a different mountain. So they go over to a different mountain. He says, Okay, curse him from here. So Balaam speaks, and he speaks blessing on God's people. Balak says again, What are you doing? I'm paying you to curse them, not bless them. Let's try another mountain. So they go to another mountain, and the same thing happens. Balaam speaks blessings on Israel and curses on Balak and his kingdom. He's says, I, I can only bless. I can't curse. But, but here, here God says to, to Laban, don't bless him or curse him. Why not bless him? Do you remember the story of Abraham in Genesis 14? Abraham has a nephew named Lot, and Lot has moved toward the wicked city of Sodom. And this group of five kings come down and do battle against Sodom and the other cities around there, and defeat them and carry off the people and all the plunder and Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so Abraham takes up 318 trained men from his household, chases down these five kings, beats them in battle, and brings all the people and all the plunder back. And when he brings it back, he, stop, he, he brings it back to Sodom. And the king of Sodom comes, out, Sodom comes out to meet Abraham. And the king of Sodom is like, yeah, just, just, just give us the people. But obviously you can keep all the plunder because you went and fight the battle. And, and Abraham says, no way. I'm not keeping any of the stuff. Do you remember what he says? He says, no, I, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth that i would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours lest you should say i've made abram rich i think that's the message here when laban comes and says when god comes to laban and says don't don't bless him or curse him i think the point is listen you laban you have no power over jacob and his blessing you can't bless him and you can't curse him god says because that's what i do I bless him. You don't bless him, you don't curse him. Laban says, you know, it's in my power, he'll say after this. It's in my power to do you harm. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because God is watching out for him. Jacob's blessing, our blessing, comes from the Lord. Here's what that attitude does for us, if we'll embrace it. First of all, it frees us up to enjoy other people's success and well-being. We don't have to say, my blessing comes from you. We're free to enjoy other people's success and well-being without being jealous or feeling shortchanged. In other words, it frees us up to love people rather than use him. I can delight in the the blessings that God shows you because I realize that's not coming at my expense. God has blessed you. Our second thing it does for us, the second wrong attitude was that I have to bless myself. I'm responsible for my own blessing. But if we realize that God has blessed us, it frees us up from the weight and burden of feeling like my blessing and my well-being depends entirely on me. In other words, it frees us up to follow God wherever he leads, trusting him, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because he'll take care of all the other things. Thirdly, this attitude frees us up to let go of the idols and distractions that we use to hedge our bets but actually endanger us spiritually and relationally. No, we can count on God. This chapter ends with a division. Jacob and Laban make a treaty. They set up a pillar, a mound. They name it Witness. I won't cross over against you. You won't cross over against me. Laban swears by his gods. Jacob swears by the Lord, the God of his father Isaac. Laban goes home. We never hear of him again. What happens to his family? We have no idea. They're not part of the story. They're outside God's promised land. They're outside God's promised family, outside of God's covenant. They have no future. Laban trusts in his false gods. He strives and strains to secure blessing at other people's expense. He's out of the story. But Jacob's about to reenter the land. 400 years after this, a nation of people named after Jacob called Israel will be in just about the same place he is, on the east side of the Jordan River, preparing to enter the land against a difficult and powerful enemy. They're the first readers of this story after Moses writes it. And they need to hear, and we need to hear the same promise. Where does your blessing come from? It comes from God. The first generation that had come out of Egypt had looked at the land, and they said, yeah, it's great, but look at the people that live there. We're in danger, we couldn't possibly take it. They're giants, they're huge. No, you have to trust the Lord. The Lord is key The Lord is the one who gives us blessing. Well, as we prepare to move to our communion service this morning, I want to ask you to think about where are you looking for your blessing? Where do you look for success? Where do you look for the security of your future? Who are you trusting in? Are you looking around, counting on other people to meet your needs, expecting them to take care of you? Are you relying on yourself? counting on your own ability? Are you hedging your bets, trusting in idols to make you happy and give you fulfillment and meaning and significance? As we move to the Lord's table, we're reminded by the elements, uh, the body and the blood of Christ, that we are ultimately powerless to meet our biggest need. Our biggest need as sinful creatures is to be reconciled to a holy and glorious God. And we simply can't do it on our own. We're unholy. We're sinful We can't clean up our act enough. We can't try hard enough. We can't do better enough to make us acceptable to God. He's perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. We are not. Our only hope is that God would do something for us, that God would meet this need. And the truth, of course, is that he's done just that. God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, God's own son, died for us. So as we move to take the Lord's table together, we are remembering. Remembering what God has done on our behalf and at the same time, we're looking ahead at what God promises to do for his people in the future, which is to bring them around his table to enjoy his blessing and goodness and joy forever. That's what we celebrate as we take this. We are reminding ourselves, reminding each other that God has met and promises to meet our biggest, greatest needs if we'll turn and trust in him alone. You can try to do it on your own. You won't be able. But we can look to him in wholehearted faith, and he promises to meet every need. He promises to forgive every sin for those who put their trust and hope in Christ. If you're here this morning and you've, you've put your faith in Christ, then we invite and welcome you to, to share in the Lord's table with us together. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that, then, then I'd urge you to let the elements pass. They, they won't do you any good. There's no magic in them. What you should do this morning instead is turn to Christ in wholehearted faith, putting your trust in what Jesus has done, crucified, taking the punishment for our sins, rising again to new life so that we with him might rise to eternal life together forever.